0: Okay, in the, last, uh, in the last couple weeks, I was trying to share uh, just a few really important but really foundational things. And I was trying to get us pointed in the right direction. Um, and, and I want to spend just a few minutes reviewing some of those things, um, just to kind of bring our hearts back into the same place. And then I want to uh, carry on. Um, if you'll remember, First, we discussed that Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is life, specifically, Christianity is the life of Christ and then we discussed the nature of life. what is life? and we saw that first of all, life is something that is <clears throat> excuse me life is something that is not something that, that, that we don't have naturally. life is something that is exclusive to God. we have a a sort of a biological existence that we call life, but uh, but what the Bible calls life is something altogether foreign uh, to the natural man and and that 's why we looked at a handful of scriptures that talked about us being born dead in trespasses and sin and and that is why Jesus looks at the Jews and says to them, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood you don 't have life in yourself and so we we established that that life is something exclusive to god and 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 uh And we only really begin to know life anything, even the very beginnings of life when we when we actually come to participate in the life of god, and that 's what new birth is uh, when we are born of the spirit, when we are newly born of the kind and nature that god is that 's how we become partakers of life before that that it, uh, that is an altogether um, new thing, not new just respect, with respect to time. When we are born again, everything that we receive is utterly new in terms of nature and character. It is absolutely foreign to us. It is given to us through this miracle of new birth, the life of God given to the soul of man. However, we then talked about um, <clears throat> that e- the fact that even though we partake of life through new birth, uh, we are still absolutely ignorant of that life until it begins to be revealed in us. And that is where I think so many... Uh, that's where we get off. That's where we start running the wrong direction. We've come to this person who is light, and yet we are still completely in darkness as to what it means to be in him, what it means to have his life, what is the nature and reality of this life. How does this life, be, what, is, what is that life there to be, there to do? What, what's it all about? Uh, and so that life that is in fact in us at new birth remains very foreign to us unless we begin to humble our hearts and turn our hearts And cry out to the Lord uh, to teach us the life that we have. And, And the scripture talks about that in a number of different ways, but it's all the same reality. In some places you'll hear Paul talking about Christ being revealed in him. In other places it's light shining in the darkness of our heart. In another place it's the renewing of the spirit of the mind. In another place it's gaining the mind of Christ. There's a lot of different ways that scripture describes that same reality. But see, that's... I mentioned that that's when we don't seek that as the primary reality of of what Christianity is, and how Christian how 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 uh, God seeks to form His son in our soul. Then then there's no other alternative except some of, some some brand of religion, because we so often do not learn the life that God has given us we don't we don't allow the spirit to show us the things that have been freely given to us by god in 1 corinthians 2 uh, and and so all that remains is is for us to imagine something and, and we, we and, and you know uh, our imaginations almost always have some kind of a bible verse attached to them but 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 the fact of the matter is the substance of what that verse describes is still foreign to us even though we can have a, a doctrine or a theology or even a past experience that may be something we can point to and say, oh, that's what that means. But see, the problem is that what, what we're doing in those kind of situations is we're reading the Scriptures not in the light of, of the life that we have, but in the darkness of the natural mind. And with our carnal minds, we apply those Scriptures to ourselves in a way that has nothing to do with the life that we have. And so instead of experiencing Christ as, for instance, instead of experiencing Christ as our righteousness, we begin to teach each other what things we must do to be righteous people. Okay, Instead of, instead of knowing the mind of Christ as our very wisdom, as the, very, the mind of the Lord working in us as, as wisdom, we, we try to become wise without seeing anything without seeing anything in His light, that is. Instead of knowing the reality and the, and the substance of any of these facets of Christ, things like love and truth and glory and, and faith, we substitute them with something that comes from our own mind, our own nature, our own religious ideas. And I can't stress that fact enough. Where, where Christ has not defined spiritual reality in our hearts, I can promise you that there is some sort of an adamic imagination already firmly in place. Where where the spirit of truth has not been allowed to, as Paul says in First Corinthians ten, to cast down imaginations that have risen up in contradiction to the true knowledge of God, there is already something in us that is standing there opposed to the truth. See, your mind is not neutral. It's not like your nature is a blank slate that all God has to do is come with his dry erase marker and write truth on it. You and I have a very serious pre-existing condition, and that's that's what we talked about last time. We talked about our pre-existing condition, and and of course, it's it's far more than it's far more than just a pre-existing condition. It's 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 worse than 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 uh, anyone ever assumes. It's 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 worse than. Uh, we as christians could ever dream in fact you can't even understand the contrariness of your nature of our nature the adamic man or the depravity of that man until you begin to see him in the light the light of christ and when we begin to see christ it's it's as we begin to see christ that we begin to recognize the 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 uh, recognize in ourselves the enormity of what has fallen short of christ so we can't. We, we just can't see what we are until we begin to see Christ. But when our heart begins to humble itself and turn like a little child, to know, to know the Lord, it, you know, this is something that Jesus just said over and over and over again, in, in different ways. Um, unless you are, unless you humble yourself like a little child, you will not know the kingdom of God, or, or. Um, the little the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Or at one point he says, uh, he says Jesus rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and says, "I praise you, Father, for you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, but you reveal them unto babes. Um, when when the heart begins to turn like a child to know the truth, and that child thing is a very important reality. Like a child that has no assumptions, like a child that. That needs to be taught the very first things of spiritual reality, the very ABCs of life in Christ, you turn and, and, and you begin to see you begin to see I was talking about this with my wife last night you, you always see two realities you see both you begin to see what Christ is, and in the light of that, you, you start to understand why Paul said, "In the flesh dwells no good thing you, you start to see uh, the, the, the awesomeness of Him, and, and in the very same light you see, apart from Him, I can do nothing. It, it becomes a reality to you. It's not a verse any longer. Um, you understand some of the things we were talking about last week that aren't, you know, aren't super fun to, to, to have to face, but they're real, that, that flesh gives birth to flesh, and, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. The flesh profits nothing, the Spirit gives life. You understand why Jeremiah says the heart of man is deceitful beyond all things. Who can understand it? And why Isaiah said our our righteousness is filthy rags. The, all these things, all these things, they start to become so much more than than uh, than words and verses and ideas that you're giving mental assent to. They become, they start to become the overwhelmingly real realities that bear in upon your soul in in, in the light of His life. And you see the problem, you understand the problem, and you understand that, that, that you are the problem. And in every way, Christ is the solution. And our desire to turn to Christ for the solution will correspond to our understanding of the problem. If, if, you, if you see yourself as a, as a person who is, is, is naughty or partially naughty or even really bad and, and, and is in need of some forgiveness, then you look to the Lord for forgiveness. And then, and then, and then you generally uh, will be one who preaches a gospel of forgiveness, and that might be as far as as your heart ever longs to see Christ, and therefore that will be as far as you ever do see Christ, the one who forgave your sins. And yet, if you if you begin to know yourself and face the reality that you are one who is is born dead in, in sin and transgression, and, and without God and without hope in the world, Paul says, and your righteousness is actually wickedness, and your your wisdom, James says, is actually natural, sensual, and demonic. And all of that begins to dawn on you. Then you, then you begin to turn to the Lord. You begin to, to turn to, to the Lord to know Him as more than just the one who pardons you. You begin to turn to Him in a way where you need to know Him as the very life of your soul, the very present righteousness that must work in you. You need to know him as the wisdom by which you understand all things and see the light by which you see. Christ has to be a much bigger salvation to you if, if we begin to see the, the bigness of the problem. You don't need... You and I don't need a greater amount of Christ you and I both need a greater knowledge of and experience of the Christ that lives in us. And that knowledge, which which, as we've talked about, I think, already, which is not an intellectual thing. Uh, It can bleed over into intellect, but it is first first the, the, the seeing of the soul and the transforming of the soul from the inside out. And it's that kind of knowing that we're after. That's what we're doing here. That's what we're hoping to have happen in these groups. And so I want to continue today towards knowing the Lord in this way. And here's how we continue. This is actually a whole lot easier than, uh, than most people think. It's extremely simple. Our, our goals in, our goal in this, in this meeting... Is, is, is a lot more simple than, than a lot of the things that we've made uh, church to be in the past. We don't need a whole lot of activity and, and busyness for, for this to, to work. It's not really a matter of programs or committees or, or, or visions or speeches or you know, motivational speeches. We need simply to turn our hearts to the Lord, to turn our, to turn our hearts away from ourselves, like maybe we've never done before. And I would have been one who, who, would have, who would have sworn up and down that I knew what that meant until, until the Lord began to deal with me, uh, to, to show me what it really meant to turn my heart, I guess. That's the only way I can say it. Turn to Him, turn from ourselves toward the revealing of Him who is the solution. And um, and so, what I'm going to be doing up here today and, and, and I guess probably as long as you keep inviting me back is in the best way that I can, I'm going to try to say some things that I, I have seen in the Lord. And as we open our hearts up to the Lord together, God reveals these things in us as finished realities. And as his light shines in your heart, as his light shines in your soul, as his truth conquers you, more and more our hearts start to conform. I'm not talking about we, 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 we get ourselves to believe something up here. I'm talking about our, our hearts begin to actually conform to these realities and, and we learn to live in them and abide in them, to abide in Christ, to live in Christ. And that's how we grow you know so much of paul's letters are are concerned with this little phrase but now in christ but now in christ not but future in time or but future in heaven or but now in christ i just i wrote down a few of these verses here but now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. But now, having been set free from sin, Romans 6.22, but now we have been delivered from the law, having died to that by which we were held, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not the oldness of the letter. But now, indeed, there are many members but one body. But now in Christ, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For you uh, That's Ephesians 2.13. Ephesians 5.8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk, therefore, as children of the light. Uh, Colossians 1.26, The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. On and on they go, all throughout the whole New Testament. But you have to understand that the reason that Paul taught like that was not so that each one of them would have good Christian theology. He proclaimed these things, first of all, because he knew them by the Spirit to be the present-day realities of what, what, uh, what salvation was and what, what was, what was uh, given to every Christian soul in the person of Christ. And second of all, he proclaimed these things to hearts that were turning with, with the expectation that the Spirit of God would make these things the actual reality and experience of every single believer that would turn. That would turn to have the veil removed from their heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But Paul I'm sorry, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I think. Paul proclaimed uh, over and over again throughout his letters, he proclaimed the things that God had finished. And and and, and in revealing these things to us, the Spirit confirms them. The Spirit, the Spirit not only confirms them and shows them to be real, but we, it's like we are power, powerless before that, that Spirit. The only thing we can do is, is conform, is submit and conform and, 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 uh, and become inwardly obedient to the reality of Christ's indwelling life. And that's uh, that's how we're going to try to move on today, proclaiming something that is already now in Christ. Okay. So tonight I want to talk about this word, the word judgment. Okay. Uh, and and my guess is that we'll be talking about this for a few weeks. I don't know how long. But when I say judgment, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. I know if you're like me, the word judgment. Immediately brings to mind images of, of destruction and death and, like, um, you know, buildings collapsing on people and all. I don't know. Or, or some kind of a punishment. Uh, but try not to let that happen. That's really not what judgment is. At least in a biblical sense, that's not, that's not what we're talking about here. Um, biblically speaking, judgment is not about punishment or retribution. Biblically speaking, judgment has to do with division with a division, okay? The word can actually be defined as a dividing asunder. And, and, and really, if we, th- if we stop and think about it, we, we, we know that when we're making a judgment, what we're actually doing is dividing between two things. We're dividing between good and bad, or right and wrong, or truth and error, or, or something like that. Judgment has to do with a division. You go to court for a judgment. You go to jail as a as a punishment. The two are not the same, okay? Uh, so, I want to try to share some things with you that have to do with the cross as a judgment, and um, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna spend uh, we're gonna spend some tri- time trying to understand the cross as. As maybe, 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 hopefully, the cross will come into a, a greater view for us in, in some of these meetings. The cross was, I think more than anything else, the cross was a judgment, a dividing, a, a cleaving, a permanent separating. And the question then comes up, the obvious question is, well, what did it divide between? What did it separate? And that that's where... That question, beginning to see the answer to that question is where all understanding begins in us. Spiritual understanding begins when we see God's division in the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross separates the first and the second. The first and the second. And, and I want to spend some time trying to describe what that means. Hebrews 10.9 tells us that when Christ came, he took away the first in order to establish the second. He took away the first in order to establish the second. And this is both a finished work of salvation, and this is also a present and ongoing experience in our hearts. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. So what is the first? The first... um, well, it's bigger than just the first. Co- it's bigger than just the old covenant, although the old covenant is, is certainly part of the first. It's bigger than just the old man, although the old man is part of the first. It's bigger than just the old creation, although the old creation too. It's all that's all part of the first. On this whiteboard down here, uh, in front, I've drawn drawn a, a diagram to try to illustrate this. Um, the first is everything that. "...pointed to, but fell short of the second. The first is the entire first creation, which is earthy. It's, it's earthly. It's natural. It's known and experienced according to senses, five senses and a natural mind. Okay? The first is, is, is that which is of man. It is for man. It is specific, specifically has to do with the Adamic man, flesh and blood. And this man, by nature, became enslaved to the law of sin and death... Um, and and, and yet the first is also this entire order by which God dealt with the first man, and that order involves a covenant, a covenant that was initiated by God that consists of laws and sacrifices and priestly ordinances and functions and earthly tabernacles and temples and services and, and natural kingdoms and all of that. All of that was the first, and all of it pointed to but fell short of the second. All of this was was created and set in order by God for one primary purpose. These aren't just good stories to, to teach our kids. These aren't just life lessons or morals. All of these things had one primary purpose, one purpose that was bigger than any other. And that was to be a testimony, a gigantic arrow that pointed to the second. One of the, one of the very fundamental and principal ways that God communicates and instructs the human heart through the Bible is first by describing something through the natural realm and then bringing it into a fulfillment and realization in his son. First is the shadow, then is the substance. First is the picture, then is the reality. Most of you probably have heard of uh, the word typology. This is I'm not trying to get into theological terms, but I I use that the term type and shadow a lot. Um, Just to give some examples, in case that word is foreign to some of you, the Passover lamb is an obvious uh, type of the true Lamb of God. You know, John the Baptist says, "Behold, the Lamb of God." Solomon is a type of the. King of Kings, reigning in wisdom and glory. Aaron, the first high priest, is the type and shadow of the of the great high priest that we have in Christ. Uh, and there's innumerable types and shadows in Scripture. They are the here's I just wrote down. This is a def, my definition of of types and types and shadows. They are the people, institutions, places, and occurrences that paint a natural, physical picture of something altogether spiritual and eternal. They are a means by which God communicates to us what He saw from the beginning and what He has now fulfilled in His Son. And there's a whole bunch of verses we could quote with regard to this just to give you some... uh, Colossians 2.16, I'll just do a couple. Colossians 2.16, said, Paul says, Don't let anyone judge you with regard to food or drink regarding a feast or a new moon or a Sabbath, which were a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is Christ. Hebrews 10.1, for the law, which has a shadow of the good things to come, and yet not the very form of those things. And it goes on to describe the comparison with the Spirit. But uh, the entire Old Testament was written and preserved of God for that express purpose. The people were real. I'm not trying to say that the stories weren't true. The people were real. The stories were true. But through them, God deliberately spoke beyond their day. He spoke beyond their covenant. He spoke beyond their creation. And Paul, for instance, in recounting uh, the, the story of the exodus from from Egypt, says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition. They had the examples. We have the reality. So your Bible is truly if you can think of it this way it would be i believe it's very very helpful i believe it's 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 it becomes necessary to think of it as as the story of the first and the second scripture is not complicated it's, it's deep it's profound but it's not difficult it's not it's not complicated it is the, it is the proclamation of god's purpose in the first and it is the realization and fulfillment of that purpose in the second, from the creation of the world to the coming of Christ, God spoke of and testified and testified to and prophesied and demonstrated and proclaimed a salvation that was to come. And in numerous and varied ways, He required Israel to to walk out in natural in the natural realm a a, uh, a picture of a relationship that he would have one day with the people in Christ. They had the picture. They had the they had the natural they had the natural high priest wearing natural white you know linens and and natural kings and natural lambs with real natural blood. And all, all of that, that all see that's the first. It's the first man, it's the first creation, it's the first covenant, it's the shadow, it's the promise, it's the picture. It's not God's purpose. It never was, but it points to God's purpose. It foreshadows God's purpose. It's not God's salvation. And yet in every little detail of it, it speaks loudly of God's salvation in Christ. So that's the first. What's the second? Well, The second is the one glorious Son of God in whom all of the first becomes spirit and truth. It it, Changes from letter and law and flesh to spirit and truth. The second is where all of these things become real to us as we are given the very life of the Son of God, as we participate in all that He is. The second is the substance, the person, the fulfillment, the reality of which everything of the first pointed. It's what God saw from the beginning, Christ all and in all. Now, now filling, not, now, not just a picture of him in, in, this, in this sacrifice or a picture of him in this offering or a picture of him in this victory over the enemy. None, those, were, those were the part of the first. Now it is that actual substance, that, that one who is that victory, the one who is that death, that burial, that resurrection, the one who is that high priest, all of that now filling the soul of the redeemed, of the redeemed and, and, and beginning to be realized in a people second is the fulfillment of divine purpose. So what I want you to understand is we're talking about a division between the first and the second and there is a new covenant uh, reality in Christ that corresponds to every single old covenant shadow. The tabernacle of Moses testified of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected, Hebrews 8.2. The natural seed of Abraham... Speaks, Galatians 3.16-29 through 29 talks about, speaks of the seed to whom we are joined by faith. The kingdom of Solomon corresponds to the eternal kingdom of the Son of God established in your soul. Jesus says, Behold, a greater than Solomon has come. The Jerusalem below was the earthly foreshadowing of God's true city. Galatians 4.26, the Jerusalem above, the heavenly Jerusalem. To which, we, to which Hebrews 12 says we have come in Christ. The natural land of, of Israel is where Joshua brought the people into natural rest. And yet we are told in Hebrews 3 and 4 that there still remains the true rest of God, the rest that is Christ. Sinai is a mountain where God met with His people to establish the Old Covenant Hebrews tells us that we have come not to Sinai but to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. And on and on we could go. The first compared to the second, the natural to the spiritual counterpart. Okay, and so we have to understand this this division is the cross. The, the first and the second are not not separated by time. They are not equivalent to B.C. and A.D. Don't try to put time in there. Time is irrelevant. In fact, time is all part of the first. I won't try to explain that, but that's true. The first and the second are separated by the cross. And the cross does not separate times or dispensations. The cross divides the dead from the living. It separates Adam from Christ, old from new, flesh from spirit, earth from heaven, death from resurrection. I I didn't put all those in there. That list could go on and on. And there's a lot that we're going, to say, we're going to say about that, and hopefully there's a lot we need to see about that. But, but, but to know the eternal purpose of God, to understand what this thing is that we're being called to, we have to first understand that, that what Scripture calls the first is the proclamation of the Christ who was to come, and the second is the experience of, and the revelation of the Christ who has come. Okay, I used to I used to use an analogy when I talked about this um, uh, analogy of a house with blueprints, blueprints and plans and sketches. The first is is like an enormous pile of sketches and and and, and drafts and, um, and 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 zoning regulations and land surveys, all describing a house. All all the all the everything that could describe in detail, everything about a house. And the second is the house that God built through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, a place for us to dwell, a place for us to abide in Him. I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. You have died, your life is hidden with Christ in God, that house. And so each of these pictures and sketches has become spirit and truth. Each of these blueprints has become an eternal spiritual reality for you and I to partake partake of, uh, as we know Christ, our life. So you and I are of the second. That's what new birth has done. That's what being born of his spirit has brought about. We are joined to the second man. Not the first man. We are... We are joined to the second man. Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about how we have all become one new man, Christ the head, we're the body. 1 Corinthians 6, 17, the one who has joined himself to the Lord has become one spirit. And in him we are a new creation. Not the first creation that was a habitation of the Adamic man. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5, if any man be in Christ, behold, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. What are the old things? What are the old things that have passed away? It's not your bad behavior. It's not how you used to act around the guys or all that kind of stuff that we think old things are. The old things are the first things. All of them have passed away, passed away from God. Behold, the new has come. What's the new? The new is the reality of the second. God is no longer relating to a natural man and a natural creation. It's gotten far better than that now. God has a new creation that is a habitation for a new seed, a new life, a new kind. And you and I have come to that new life. We have been born of that new seed. We have become that new creation and we have a relationship with God called the new covenant. What is the new covenant? It is a different kind of relationship to God. It's no longer a covenant a relationship where God relates to us in natural laws with words and commands and sacrifices and feasts. It's not a covenant of the letter. It is a covenant of the Spirit. Paul says that time and again. It's not a natural picture of what it will look like one day to be in Christ. Now, see, that's Exodus. That's Leviticus. It is the spiritual reality of being in Christ where we have become the literal spiritual body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We read the verse last week, Ephesians 2.22, I think, where Paul says we are the living habitation of the Lord and the Spirit. One of my favorite stories in, in John is the story where Jesus goes up to the lady at the well and, and, and he starts kind of um, uh, you know, getting a little too personal for her, I think. Pointing out the fact that she's got a, uh, you know, a boatload of husbands or past past lovers or whatever, and she kind of changes the subject real quick. And she says, "Sir, I perceive you're a prophet." And then she asks her, "You know, it's almost like she's trying to get him on a different topic here." And says, Ah, uh, tell you what. Here's my here's a spiritual question for you. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the is the place where one needs to worship." And, and Jesus says to her, "Woman, believe me. The hour." And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, woman, salvation is coming from the Jews because I am that salvation. And everything the Jews have done has testified of me. John 5, these are they which testify of me. And you refuse to come to me to have the things that are testified of. Lady, the Jews indeed had the testimony of salvation in Jerusalem and it's not here in in, in Samaria. You don't know what you're worshiping. But it really doesn't matter because the hour has come when neither of those two physical locations, those two physical places are even relevant. The hour has come when all of the first is being taken away and Hebrews says made obsolete because the second is being established. The hour has come to put away the first and to establish the second. And that is the judgment that I'm talking about. That is the judgment that the cross brought. This is what and this is how the cross divides. It divides permanently between the first and the second. It ends God's relatedness in a covenant to the one. It establishes God's relatedness in covenant to the other. And this is not just an academic reality that I'm trying to get our minds to comprehend tonight. Again, that's not why I'm saying any of this. This is a reality that is true and finished and permanent regardless of what we have seen of it. It has been done. Whether the eyes of our heart have seen it or not, Jesus is the one who said, it is finished. Paul said, Ephesians 3.11, the eternal purpose of God has been Accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. It has been completed, whether we live in contradiction to it or not. And we are going to find that as the Lord deals with our hearts, if we let the Lord deal with our hearts, no matter what it is you are seeing in Christ, no matter what verse the Lord is highlighting in your heart, no matter what verse or reality the Spirit of God has put His finger on, when the spirit of truth teaches you, he is going to teach your soul upon the foundation of this great division that is called the cross. He shows you what God has taken away and he shows you what God has established. He shows you what life is and you cannot help but see then what death is. He shows you something of the reality of Christ and all you want to do is put away the first man, the Adamic man, from your heart through, by the renewing of the spirit of your mind. You see, by the revealing of this judgment, this division, this cr- cross, Christ and Him crucified, in you, you are changed. You are literally changed in accordance with that division. That's how you're changed. Paul talks about this over and over and over again. And once you begin to see that division, once that once that and I know that's happening in a lot of you, if not all of you already, that 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 division starts to be such a foundational reality in everything you read in the New Testament. You start to read about Paul putting off one man and and putting on another. What is that man being put off? We just we mentioned that a minute ago. Uh, That man is 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 part of the first. And another man is being put on. And how is it all happening? By the renewing of your mind. By God showing you what He has already done. By causing you to live in and be conformed to and abide in what God has done at the cross. So you'll find that Paul talks about being crucified to this world down there. He talks about being raised up and seated in another one. He talks about being a citizen of the one and a stranger still in the other because he has a body. He talks about no longer walking in darkness because we have the light of a new day, a new life, the light of life. He says, you are no longer men. Why are you? He says to the Corinthians, why are you still acting like mere men? Do you not know that you are sons of God by Christ? He talks about beholding in the glass the the glory of the Lord and being changed into the same image. From the glory of the first, as he talks about, in the face of Moses, to the glory of the second in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, this is not just something that I'm trying to show you about the Bible. If you're hearing that, then you're really misunderstanding what I'm trying to say and what, what I'm hoping happens here. This isn't just something that God did in the realm of theology. This is something that God did at the cross and that God is very much desiring to reveal in your soul. But you see, here's here's the kicker to that. This is also precisely what we resist knowing. And I'm, I'm about to start wrapping this up, but let me just say a few things about that. This is what we resist because when it comes right down to it, and we just have to face this about ourselves, there's hope, there, there, there is change, there's a way that God has made to put off that man. But, we, but, but you need to understand about yourself that, that most of the time we wanted Jesus that doesn't have this division attached to him. We wanted Jesus that doesn't have a cross. In other words, we want to receive His benefits without facing His truth. We want to know His love without knowing what the cross has put away and what the resurrection has established. Let me, let me try to say it a different way. We're so often trying our best to find the substance in the shadow. Am I pointing to the right sides down there when I do that? We're trying to, we're trying to find the substance in the pattern. We're trying to make Christianity something in the first. We're trying to find our rest in the law and in obedience to the law, and you'll never find it. We're trying to find our joy in the flesh, fleshly things. It will always leave you hungry. We're trying to find spiritual identity in good works. We're trying to find purpose in the old creation. It's not there. You don't have a purpose in the creation on this side. Your purpose is found here, the eternal purpose of God in Christ. We're trying to find true fellowship and natural relationships. We're like the men who ran to the tomb when Jesus had been raised. And the angel said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? We'll never find the second among the first. And yet and yet we love the first in so many ways. And we could go on, I could we could make lists of those ways and the reasons why we love the first, but it all it all has one thing in common. We love the first because we love our lives. We resist the truth of the cross. We resist God's view working in us of the cross, of this division, so much of the time because when we begin to embrace the cross, a tremendous dividing begins. And it, and it, and it consumes you, a dividing. This, I, I, a number of years ago, this would have sounded like insanity to me, but now this is, this is the most real thing that I know. When you begin to see the cross, a dividing happens in you. And everything that you are, everything that you do, everything that you think, it's divided. There's a division in your heart between the living and the dead, between Adam and Christ, between truth and the lie. You can't help it. It's not a judgment that you're making about things. It's a judgment that you're acknowledging and recognizing in the light. It's not a judgment that comes from you, even though people might misunderstand you. And think that it is it 's not a judgment that comes from you at all it 's a judgment that that he has already established in the cross and it 's a judgment that you realize and you face and you 're on the wrong side by nature, your thoughts, your ways it 's a dividing that is a, is a putting away of the first and, and an establishing of the second and that sounds like such a good thing and it is a good thing it 's it's a, it's a marvelous thing it 's the greatest of all things. But what I'm trying to say is that in the heart, if we're, if we're willing to see, let me put it this way, the heart that is willing to see that division is a heart that is willing to understand what Jesus meant when he said again and again, if you want to find life, you have to lose it. If you want to know life, you have to hate what you call life. You see, because it, when you see that division, well, maybe I'll just leave it with that. You see a, a tremendous dividing, and so knowing Christ becomes this process in your heart where God starts to He starts to separate things. He separates, and you can't even believe what you're seeing. Knowing Christ will always be along the lines of this cross, this division, this judgment. It will always involve Him taking away the first and establishing the second in you, in your soul. And we'll stop there.